0: On today's show, we tackle the issue of ignorance in the media and how we really ought to be vaccinating ourselves against this and not letting it
1: influence us, though that is really hard. Welcome to the Veterinary Leadership Success Podcast, the show for veterinary practice owners and managers who are eager to become the leaders their teams deserve. I'm your host, veterinarian and leadership expert, Dr. Dave Nicol. And each week, I'll be diving into important topics from the world of veterinary team leadership. In these short, sharp, and punchy episodes, I'll share my insights, experiences, and practical tips to help you navigate the challenges of leadership in the veterinary profession. Whether it's head in the clouds vision casting or in the trenches leading for performance, we will cover it all. As an owner myself, I understand the unique dynamics and demands of running a successful veterinary practice, and I'm passionate about empowering you to create a workplace where people and pets can thrive. So if you're ready for your weekly leadership fix, let's dive in to this week's show.
0: Well, listeners, welcome to this show. I felt like I wanted to jump on and follow up on some Twitter comments I made in response to an article in The Guardian by... A veteran BBC broadcaster, Adrian Childs. Now, I don't know Adrian. He seemed like quite a nice man. And the article seemed very much like not a well-thought-out article. In that article, he wrote a piece that effectively, and the title was, If I've learned one thing in dog ownership over the last three years, don't trust vets. I'll let that bombshell sit in for a little second for all of you out there that spend Upwards of 40-50 hours a week, sweating blood, looking after pet owners and feeling generally unloved. Let it sit. And if your blood isn't boiling already, then you probably have ice in your veins. Now, this article had so many problems with it. It was a classic media beat-up mug job which lacked any form of detail whatsoever to back up any of the claims. Statements like, let me read you a couple of the statements, attempts to upsell me on treatments my little lad included medicines, supplements, even post-castration minerals. It's MBA level marketing zealotry. And it starts off, if you want a terrifying insight into what privatised primary healthcare could look like, Hadrian, have you been in private medicine, my man? One finds it hard to imagine that you've got any sense whatsoever of what that looks like, which I find a little bit hard to believe, as a highly paid person in British society. Anyhow, although I agree with that statement, I think you'll find veterinary medicine, the availability, the price, everything is incredibly better than human medicine. So the comment just doesn't land well. And it doesn't get better as you go through here. He makes so many baseless claims. So my dog celebrated his third birthday with this week, blah, blah, blah. And Oni goes and says, keeping a dog's a pricey business. I had a stab at calculating what its three short years had cost in vet fees. This would include the cost of treatment, pet insurance, because disappointingly, indeed incredibly, the latter invariably doesn't cover the former, which is demonstrably not true. I assume he's referring to premiums, excesses, all of which are in the small print of your pet insurance, Adrian. If you chose a good one, then they would cover an awful lot of ones. I don't know which one you chose, but given your experience, it might have been one of the cheaper policies on the market. But pet insurance isn't there to cover the cost of what isn't treatment. And vaccines and warmer tablets and castrations are not treatment. These are costs of pet ownership. And your three-year-old dog, I deeply hope, has not had that many calls to visit the vet with anything more serious than that. And if it did, then your pet insurance almost certainly, unless add exclusions, would cover that sort of thing. Though you would have to check with your insurer and I'm not making insurance advice. Now, the interesting thing is that then he works out another number is the total amount of money you would if you'd have taken them up on every course of treatment they'd suggested. And this sum was well into five figure territory. Yes, insurance would cover most of these, but that's no comfort as you ultimately pay the price in premiums. Not quite the same price, Adrian. That's not strictly true. Uh, Whilst there is an impact, uh, that is undeniable. However, you get into a situation where your dog has a cough. It should clear up itself. But if you could, implication, you really care for your dog. Now that is as cheap a shot as it gets. There is no implication there whatsoever. The notion that a vet would stand in the room and say, hey, this nasty cough, which is probably kennel cough, which is a self-limiting disease, will clear up on its own. That is true. However, and I have been in this situation, Mr. Childs, where you don't know what's going on in a dog's chest and a cough is a symptom of many, many diseases. One memorable case was a young dog. In fact, a three-year-old dog, which was otherwise healthy. Did not like me very much, I will say that. was quite a difficult animal to examine generally growling at me, showed up with what I believe to be kennel cough. And so I treated it as it sounds like your dog was treated. Nasty cough, probably clear up, had quite a bad case, so gave him some anti-inflammatories to try and make him a bit more comfortable and said, if this doesn't resolve within the next two, three weeks, we really need to see him back and do more things at that point. He came back. Cough wasn't better. He was a difficult patient. We anaesthetised him and lo and behold, took some chest x-rays, he had dilated cardiomyopathy, a massively life-threatening disease. See, the point there is you can't tell from a clinical examination. So we treat what's common. But we live in a society increasingly driven by litigious lawyers or hungry lawyers. You want to see people who are really chasing your money? Mr. Charles? that would be the lawyers. Lawyers who are driven by money, who have an ample battle of people who are now chasing vets, because if they make the single mistake, they'll either be trashed on social media, wrecked with reviews on a practice, causing serious mental harm, or pursued with a complaint, which can take three months to resolve, even if it's nonsense and thrown out, as the vast majority are, or pursued for money by an ambulance-chasing lawyer. So yes, Mr. Childs, vets make recommendations Okay, And they will also say things like, listen, this is probably that, and if we do this thing here, this will probably work, but I can't be 100% sure of this, so it might be a good idea to take a chest X-ray or run a blood test, or a poo analysis, or any one of a number of other tests that seem perfectly reasonable. Now, the younger vets have a harder time with this, because you know what they lack? They lack experience. And there's more younger vets than there are older vets, Mr. Charles, here's why. Because they're burning out because they're not taught communication skills. They're not taught business skills. So they struggle in the early parts of their career. And you've probably noticed in your own career, because every single professional in every single branch of working life has said the same thing that this generation, particularly that have been robbed of a lot of the social skills through the two years of disruptions of university training, etc., through lockdown, are not as socially skilled and are more prone to anxiety and stress than previous generations. They're burning out easier. So what we need is a little bit of understanding. What we do not need are ignorant articles from people in the media who should ask questions first, not just run their mouth. Because what this does, Mr. Charles, what this does is it damages the relationship for all vets with all clients who read this kind of claptrap. And that's bad because more clients, and that's why the title, and goodness me that what I've learned after three years of dog ownership said, don't trust your vet. How bad a title is that? Now, it was bad enough, it got
1: Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions, a poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair, help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful high performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar or apply. Visit drdavenickel.com forward slash leaders. Now back to the show.
0: Changed, even the day it was published to beware of the vet bills. Okay, but Mr. Charles, I'd be embarrassed to have this article up. It's kind of a disgrace that it's even there. And frankly, should be taken down. Now, in Adrian Charles' defence, he has since published a retraction. And I appreciate that. Vets, you deserve my apologies. And there is a new article that's come out and he's clearly seen the light. So you know what? fair play to you, Adrian Charles. You've taken your medicine. You've actually sought out to understand the situation rather than just running, not just your mouth, because if it was running your mouth, it wouldn't be as damaging, but running your pen or your computer in the way that you have. And that will have caused serious damage. People won't necessarily read this. You know, the damage is kind of done. And I do think there's a responsibility on media To think really carefully about this, especially when you're dealing with a group of individuals with a suicide rate of somewhere between two and four times the national average, okay? Now, I'm not saying we're blameless in all of this, okay? When I read the article and I've stood in the veterinary, the examination room, the consult room with hundreds of vets and I've watched probably about 2,000 veterinary examinations literally standing in the room watching colleagues do their work. So I can categorically say that I can count on the fingers of one hand or maybe even the fingers of one thumb and forefinger the number of vets that I've looked at and felt like they were guilty of upselling. Because the truth is the exact opposite. The truth is most vets struggle to get the meaning, the clarity they've got in their heads across in a way that clients understand because we're not brilliant at communicating. And this is something I think we've got to work on, whether it's in university. We don't make space for this in curricula, it's getting better but there's not enough space for it in the curricula. We've got to take more responsibility as leaders, as business owners, practice owners, to teach these skills and not just assume them, because that's a mistake. And as individuals, as veterinarians, you have to take responsibility for this as well, because quite possibly what happened here was that Mr. Childs was presenting his dog with, and he had a case of a dog with his dog had diarrhoea. Now, those are difficult cases to treat, they can be chronic, they can be a real pain in the bum. The correct course of action, which is exactly what's described in his article, one of the only things I can discern with any accuracy from the article, except the, the inaccuracy of it. But what's clear in the article is that the veterinarian he saw prescribed something like a probiotic, with something to slow the speed of transit of poo through the intestine. Great choice. Plus, a supportive diet. Also, great choice. They haven't dived into all sorts of more expensive treatment options. That would be appropriate as a, probably as a secondary thing, but it depends on the situation. First case of diarrhoea, young animal, no reason to think ill, clinical exam otherwise normal, fair enough, treat conservatively. Multiple bouts, more suspicious symptoms, or something discovered on a, a physical examination, then it's more appropriate to go in. But, vets are... Often they learn to practice defensive medicine because they fear the backlash if they don't at least cover their bases. And they fear the backlash because of crappy articles like this and crappy reviews that happen out there. And they fear it because if they don't make recommendations, they don't at least cover the bases, then they feel like they might be guilty in some way, which is just not true. But what ends up happening is they say, well, it could be A, B or C. And if it's A, we should do this. And if it's B, we should do this. If we see it's do this. They each carry a different treatment option, a different potentially prognostic outcome, a different price. And they leave it to the client to decide which one would you feel most comfortable with, right? And I don't think that's a good way to approach it. I'm on the record as saying, you know, gold care, I don't believe gold care is a fixed target. I think it should be spectrum of care, which... It means recommending treatments that fit the shape of not just the clinical condition before you, of course that's a massively important part, but of the life circumstances of the family that's on the end of that leash or cat basket. There are multiple things at play. There's what you think is going on clinically, there's what the family can handle emotionally, physically, financially, and the real skill in general practice. And this is why it's hard, Adrian Childs, is learning to do that dance. And I'm sorry that you didn't have that experience, that you felt so riled up to write as poisonous an article as that. And I'm grateful, genuinely grateful, that you wrote the retraction. But what I would really like to do is invite you to get that clinical record and get those invoices and compare notes on the two. Let's really see what was going on in there. Because there's probably a lot of lessons for all of us. There's lessons for you in not running your mouth. There's lessons for us as a profession in communicating better. Like, I don't think we should be playing the victim card here. Okay, yes, this was bad. But the bigger problem, beyond the individual moments and the upset of an individual client, and the fact that this client is a highly recognisable media personality in the United Kingdom, that has just dragged the profession through the mud. But the actual bigger problem is that the vets reading this will be highly triggered and driven to behave in different ways and driven to further dislike clients because they feel like they're getting beaten up. And I think that's a mistake. It's a mistake for us to keep thinking like that. It's a mistake for us to empower loudmouths like Adrian Childs with the inaccurate stuff that they're printing. And the way to get past that, yes, is to directly educate. Yes, is to stand up for ourselves. But it's to also not just play the victim card here, Because Adrian Charles was motivated, I don't believe he's a bad person, not at all. But he was motivated to write that article from a place of frustration, anger, ignorance. Yeah, it was ignorant, but it didn't come from a place of ignorance. And you can see his intention is because he's written the retraction and tried to correct it. And I have to say, I do not disagree with his his second article. You know, veterinary medicine has changed a lot. It is driven by private equity firms who, frankly, do not have the same mission statements as veterinarians. That is true. But the bigger problem is that we beat up clients. And this is just another example of us becoming more and more defensive and toxic about clients. And we can't play that game if we want to enjoy this job. Clients are not the enemy. okay? Even when they get it wrong, as in this case, there is a way back if we listen, acknowledge, and then respond in a way that educates and helps people like Adrian Childs to understand the reality of a situation. But it also helps, back in the exam room, if we are clearer with our recommendations and we're better at our communications and that we make recommendations that fit the shape of what we see before us and we don't just practice defensive medicine. Okay? So, we've all been damaged by this article, particularly in the United Kingdom. All right. anybody who read that Guardian article their belief in veterinarians will have been shaken by it now our job is to respond to that, Adrian Childs has responded to that in a positive way really grateful for that but for all of you in the exam room are you leading teams whether you're in the UK or in the United States or in Australia or wherever because we're all on the wrong end of media bashing, it's too easy for the media to beat us up we're a soft target Because we have to charge for services. And for some reason, people have come to expect that vets should be doing this for nothing. Veterinarians are the lowest paid of any of the professions by some way. They're the most at risk of the professions by some way. And they are the most altruistic of the professions by a country mile. Okay. So media, give us a break. If you're not clear about something that's going on, Ask for clarification. We've got professional bodies and individuals willing to speak. But we're suffering. We're struggling. We could use a little help. And please, for God's sakes, do not give up on trust in your veterinarian. There is not a group of people on this planet that I think is more worthy of your trust. They didn't come into this for the money. They didn't come into it for the love of you either as the pet owner, and that's a problem we've got to get better at. They come into this the love of fixing animals the end so do them a favour and if they're having a bad day give them a bit of a tummy rub (laughs) not literally (laughs) but figuratively you do your bit of kindness in doing that and I'm pretty sure they'd appreciate it right back alright what are your thoughts on that article and other media bashings that we've received how do you respond to it how do we navigate these things without becoming the victim what is our responsibility in grasping that responsibility, do we give ourselves back a bit more control over the situation? And therefore, and this is really important, hope. Hope that veterinary medicine can and will improve. All right, guys, over to you. Have an absolutely amazing week or weekend, wherever you are, or however you're listening to this. Take care,
1: and we'll see you next time on the Veterinary Leadership Success Show. So that wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Leadership Success Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, it would be most appreciated if you would leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends in veterinary medicine all about us. Until next time, from all of us here, be safe, be well, and be happy. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar or apply. Visit drdavenickel.com forward slash leaders. Now back to the shore.